welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is in my home on a monsoon rain summer day in Utah. We love monsoon rains. Is my new friend, Edward Levitt. Welcome to the podcast, Edward. Hey, thank you, Richard. I'm gl- really glad to be here. Edward messaged me a couple months ago. Um, every story is different, and he's going to share a story as a gay Latter-day Saint that's unique and different. Um, um, has more background of Edward. Um, before I get into what's unique and different, I'll just set the stage. He is um, in his mid-30s. He grew up in Gunlock, um, which is an area in southern Utah. I'm familiar with that area just because we used to run marathons down there. And Gunlock isn't actually on the marathon course, but is in that beautiful valley um, north of St. George. Um, Edward's going to share his story as a gay Latter-day Saint, and that'll be a story that'll be different. It'll be the same. He's in his mid-30s, as I may mention. He served a mission in Scotland. Um, One of the things that's really brave about Edward's story is going to share that he is HIV positive. We've done over 600 podcasts, and no one's shared that part of their story. And I don't know much about being HIV positive, but um, I think Edward will help reduce the stigma and increase the understanding about that. And it's really brave of him to talk about that. So you'll hear that. Um, Edward is not active in the church right now, but I wanted to read a line from his outline that just is full of grace. Quote, I want to make it clear, even though I no longer attend church and has some unpleasant memories of conversations, I still want the church to succeed and members to be happy. Uh, That just brought some tears to my eyes as I read that. You'll probably share that again in real life in the outline, but it just gives you an idea of this really good man. He's a real estate agent, successful real estate agent in St. George. He's single. Um, But um, our joint prayer, we said a prayer before we started this podcast to be helpful for you. Edward's going to talk about feelings of being suicidal and even how this podcast and your stories gave him hope in some of his darkest moments. So perhaps he's returning the favor to other listeners that feel in really dark, unsolvable, heavy spots and alone and no one with quite the same situation. Perhaps the things that Edward share will help you feel hope and feel a sustained way to move forward in your life. Is that okay for an introduction, Edward? Yes, it was perfect. Thank you uh, for that. So, yeah, yeah, got off to a good start. My name's Edward Levitt. I'm from Gunlock, Utah. Um, I grew up in a big family um, with really two really awesome parents and seven siblings. Um, I grew up very familiar with church and church teachings, uh, although I wasn't uh, completely active uh, growing up. Um, but the gospel is something that I've always been familiar with and had in my life. Um, big family. I have seven siblings. Um, now I have 14 nieces and nephews, and I love them to death. They're, they're my favorite part of the world right now, and they make me very happy to be in it. Um, I love watching them grow up and love playing with them and just... Uh, how lucky I am that all my family lives in Southern Utah, actually, and I get to see all my nieces and nephews very frequently. So, as I mentioned, grew up kind of active in the church, but also a little, you know, a little rebellious at times. I mean, 
my family wasn't completely active growing up. So I really kind of had the choice of what I wanted to do. Um, serving a mission wasn't something that I planned on. It was something um, I thought of, you know, growing up, you know, that should happen. It might happen. But uh, most of the time, I didn't think I would serve a mission. Um, and I grew up, I graduated high school. Um, I was one of the oldest uh, uh, members of my high school class. So I was turning 19 um, not long after I graduated high school. So I had graduated high school and, ter- and turned 19. And it's a little unique experience um, of when I decided to serve a mission. Um, I had been to a, a rodeo one night in the middle of summer and um, was being a teenager. Uh, me and my friends had snuck into somebody's cooler and had plenty of alcoholic drinks and were having a good, fun teenage time. Um, you know, got, got pretty sauced that night. And then I remember ending up at church the next day. Um, looking back, I can't remember why I decided to go to church that day. Um, I can't remember if I chose to or if mom and dad made me because I had, uh, had clearly misbehaved the night before. But I remember my cousin was getting ordained, um, and I can't remember to which office of the priesthood. Um, and I was a little older than him, so I had already uh, been ordained, and I uh, was invited by the bishop when they were giving this priesthood blessing to him to participate. And this is a little awkward for me, knowing my behavior and didn't really know what to do because I didn't want to confess in front of everybody that was there to uh, witness this blessing. But I, uh, I remember just feeling the spirit during that blessing. And looking back, I think that bishop who invited me to be part of it knew what he was doing. Um, and I just remember feeling how wonderful the priesthood is and how wonderful the gospel is and how wonderful it is that we have those keys um, and that blessing in our lives. And following that blessing, um, I just remember feeling spiritual promptings and just having the feeling that there's somebody in this world on a mission I need to meet. They're alive right now. They're breathing. They're living a normal life. And there's just someone that I need to meet. And I ended up um, going and talking to the bishop and saying, hey, I think I, I need to serve a mission and I, I want to serve a mission. And like I said, I think he knew what he's doing because he had mission papers in his drawer and he just pulled them off. And I, I went home with mission papers that day. And I remember my parents surprised. My mom was very happy. She's been very active my whole life. And my dad was happy. They did not expect me to serve a mission. They didn't really force it or, you know, um, they were pretty fair to me and letting that be my decision. Um, and they did not expect uh, me to come home with mission papers that day. And I did. And so, um, obviously I 
changed some of my behavior and um, became worthy of a temple recommend. I got endowed in the temple and then uh, in 2008, I left for my mission. Um, I went to the MTC and uh, Preston, England and was there a few weeks. And then I served my mission in Scotland and it was a very rich experience. Um, I treasure those relationships uh, more than I could describe. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I remember feeling the need to meet someone. Um, and at that time thinking there's someone who needs the gospel, there's someone who needs, needs to, to be converted, which um, I guess is true. But looking back, I see that those relationships are important for me. Um, especially during this part of my life. Um, I taught some wonderful people, um, wonderful people who made the choice to be baptized. I taught some wonderful people who didn't make the choice to be baptized. Um, and looking back, uh, I think it's hard to admit because, you know, the mission's just such a perfect experience or we want it to be. Um, but I, at that time, I, I thought to myself, this, they need to be baptized right now or they're, they're not going to go to the celestial kingdom. And I regret that that was a thought um, because these people are just so good um, and God is fair. And we're all on, we all have our own uh, experiences in our own lives and nothing ever happens at the same timing, um, for, for each of us. So I also made great connections and had wonderful relationships with, uh, the ward members where I served. Um, I loved hearing their perspective on things being from, you know, a location that is, is different from Utah, uh, what it's like to serve in the church for them and how, how much commitment um, and testimony it takes for them to do what they do. And many of them were converts. So I had uh, so many, I, I, I would I think the term to use for the members I met in Scotland is role models. They're my spiritual role models. And, um, and I'm grateful that I was able to hear their stories because there's many of them were so different than what I grew up hearing about what it is to be a member of the church and becoming a member of the church. Um, so there is, are, I'm lucky to have role models with that uh, insane amount of faith. And I feared coming out, and many of them don't know. I think actually none of them know yet that I'm gay or that I have HIV. Um, I feared losing a relationship with them just as much, you know, pretty close to as much as I feared losing a relationship with my family and friends. Uh, my mission is is a great um, experience for me. And even though I'm, I am where I am now, I still 
am so happy that that happened and do not regret my choice to serve a mission at all. And um, would tell 19-year-old Edward to do it again if I could. All right, so coming home um, from my mission, I was a very excited RM. I was uh, trying to convert everybody, save everybody, throw in Book of Mormons at, at anyone I could see. Um, you know, just a typical return missionary. And I remember coming home and starting to date. Um, and there was a special girl that I knew and we had actually met in the MPC. And we had became close. We had become very good friends. And I, I cared about her and she cared about me very much. And I remember, uh, I guess, you know, I, I've, I actually spoke with her today and, you know, you could describe, describe it as, we were dating. Um, I guess you could say that we were in a relationship. And I, I remember knowing how things were going to go if, if, if I kept seeing her. Um, I know that uh, I was able to make her happy. I wanted to make her happy. I loved her to death. She's a, a, an enormous sweetheart, a nice person, as nice as you can get. And I... As a return missionary, your goal is to get married too. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe I should make this happen. I mean, this checks all the boxes. Uh, she's an RN, you know, an, an RM. She comes from a great family. My parents would have loved her. Uh, they would have loved having the in-laws that they had. And I, I felt selfish um, when I, I felt that things shouldn't move forward um, because I just there was something missing. I, I I didn't realize I was gay at that time, but I, I realized I can't love her in a way that's enough to be in a serious relationship that probably looking back could very well have resulted in marriage. And I, I broke her heart. She was very mad at me before I went to Hawaii. Um, and it was hard to do that. It was hard for me. It was very hard for her and it was hard yeah, I I still, even still, even though we've sorted things out, still feel like such a jerk for making her feel so bad. Um, but um, I, she's, I've been in touch with her. Um, you know, just a side note, she's one of the first people I came out to. Uh, she remains uh, one of my closest and best friends, and I'm glad that she's in my life. And I don't regret that experience anymore. Um, you know, by, by doing that, she, she moved forward and she met a guy that she loves and he loves her and they have a beautiful family. And I remember when she got married and especially when she had kids and having kids, I mean, that's one of the most, I haven't experienced it, but there's nothing more joyous and happy than a family happening. And I'm so glad that I didn't distract her from that. Um, and that, you know, my, my concern for my, my own salvation did not interfere with her happiness. Uh, I know some members of the church might disagree with me and call it selfish um, or, even, and, or even thoughtless, but, um, you know, I've, I've heard advice that I won't follow to, you know, you don't need to be that attracted to, to someone to make marriage or love work and you know that sexual attraction shouldn't be there and i i disagree and i'm glad that 
I gave her the opportunity to find somebody that loves her in a way that I can't and that she gets to spend her life being loved in a way that she should be. Uh, that's something every daughter of God deserves. And I'm happy that things turned out the way they did. And I just want to mention as well, um, you know, we're each different. I'm in a place where I, I'm pretty sure that a heterosexual relationship, a marriage would not work for me. Um, I know many people personally and on your podcast that do make it work and they have happy families and we're all, I guess, you know, we're all on different levels of a spectrum as, as how I've heard it described. So I don't want to discourage anybody who is making that work or if, or if that's their goal. And if that is their goal, I want to make it clear. I support that goal and want their family to be happy and, and successful. So I went to BYU Hawaii after I broke her heart and, you know, was a pretty social person most part. Um, the first year I was there, it was a little, uh, a little weird because I didn't know anybody. Took some time to to make some friends and acquaintances, and but over time I I kind of created a, a great network of friends and and people, um, people that uh, were played a, an important part of my life. Um, just just as 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 friends. I mean, I, I guess I was never, never bored during that time of my life. And I'm happy that my college experience was good. And in 2014, I, I graduated. I decided to come back home um, to Southern Utah and to, and to, to be closer to my family. Um, that was a hard decision. I was worried about what kind of work opportunities were in Southern Utah. Um, I was pretty adventurous. I wanted to see and be somewhere new, but ultimately I decided coming home was, was what was important. And let me pause for a minute. All right. So um, following uh, BYU Hawaii, uh, that part of my life went quick and I was done with school and uh, looking for a career before, you know, before I knew it. And that's the time where I started to really struggle um, with dating, with relationships, and with my own sexuality. Um, I had never really even thought about my sexuality until this point, but, you know, just found when I, I date, when, when I'm dating, I just don't get interested enough to keep anything going. Um, and I fell into kind of a limbo where I didn't have any goals, uh, you know, anything to that I was working on. I mean, I had finished mission school and, and all of that. And, uh, just, I became very, in a sense, abusive to myself. Um, I was very hard on myself for not having my life figured out, especially, um, as each birthday came up and I, I was another year older. I, I remember getting to my late twenties and then into my thirties feeling uh, feeling under-accomplished and wondering, you know, what my purpose was. And you know, <laughs> I started thinking about being gay and if I was. Um, any thought at that point, um, I thought it was a curiosity and evil influence. Um, throughout my adult life. I didn't think of it as a, a characteristic. I thought of it as a burden. Um, 
I thought it was something that would go away if I was righteous enough, it would leave me. Uh, I tortured myself trying to do better all the time. Uh, even after my first sexual experience, that didn't happen until my 30s. I was determining that these things or, or sins or however you call it were happening because, you know, I wasn't reading the scriptures enough. I wasn't praying enough. I wasn't living the gospel enough. And so I had myself convinced I am not enough and that I, I am bad. Um, you know, I, I found purpose in my, and such strong purpose in my life from serving a mission and going to school. Um, and just when I was getting ready to turn 31, um, I just didn't feel like I had that purpose anymore. Um, I hated myself, um, to the point where I was literally beating myself up to the point that um, I wouldn't go out, out in public because I had given myself bruises and black eyes. Um, really, really bad. And during a couple of weeks, I was home alone. Um, I had roommates at that time, but there was a, a period where I can't remember the reason I was in the house alone. They were traveling somewhere and um, it got pretty bad. <laughs> and I realized that it wasn't good for me to to be alone. And I had to take measures to protect myself um, from myself. I decided to, to confide in a couple of friends, and one of those was a roommate who was also a ward member and who was also my age. So I found a lot of comfort in just being friends with him. Um, it really reduced the loneliness I felt um, having him around. Uh, and him and uh, luckily uh, a ward member who was actually my home teacher or minister, I can't remember what it was at that point, um, were checking on me and, and helping me through that, that time. Um, I had two amazing therapists over the past few years that helped me grow out of that, um, helped me figure out medication. I'm also a very good doctor to the, and they helped me get to a place where I was not harming myself anymore. Um, and my goal now is, is to just be happy um, and to be in this world as long as I can. I remember during this time um, feeling, feeling pretty suicidal. Um, without that purpose, I was trying to figure out, you know, what, what is, is waiting for me uh, for the rest of my life. What is there to look forward to? Um, and then the realization that I was gay was also playing a part in this and that I was gay um, as I falsely thought because I wasn't doing the right things and that I wasn't, must not be a good person. Um, and then I remember the, the Mormon message video, um, Choose to Stay. I don't know if you recall that, that one. Vaguely, yeah. Bigly, it just had, it was pretty vulnerable. Someone, and I don't know if it was an actor or true experience, but they did a good job with this where I think it was, was a teenager and it just was going through, you know, it started with his darkness and, um, you know, and if, it's been a while since I watched it, but I, I remember best way to describe it is him confiding in his family uh, and just getting through a hard time, but then making the choice to stay. And I watched that repeatedly. It found, I, I found so much comfort in that Mormon message video that I was always 
felt like I watched it every day for a while. Um, and and I remember um, when I thought to myself, I need to make a decision of what I'm going to do. Um, I remember having thoughts. I had never made a plan, but in a sense, I was starting to, I was wondering if I do this, where should it happen? When should it happen? And how should it happen? Um, I just got to a very dangerous place. Um, I didn't talk with very many people about it. I always felt ashamed and ungrateful to feel that way. I felt like if, if I were to talk to my family, uh, I was worried that they would blame themselves and it wasn't anybody's fault, but I was worried that someone would, would receive that conversation that way. <laughs> um, and there's, I, I would, don't know if I'm describing, the, describing it the right way, but I feel like there's a lot of divine intervention. Um, during this time, I was beating myself out, up so hard. I was um, avoiding family. Um, I think a lot of them are going to find out this happened if they listen to this. Honestly, I kept this to myself. Um, and I hid it very well, but during those times I had, had physical evidence of the harm I was doing to myself. I would stay, stay home. I would work from home. Um, and I wouldn't interact with anybody because I didn't want to get caught, um, or discovered, um, doing what I was doing. <laughs> and the one place I went to get out of my house was, was the gym. And I remember I would, I just kind of had my, um, my routine. They, they have like a, a cardio cinema. I like to run and they have a cardio cinema where it's dark. It's, it's quiet. There's not a lot of people around. I just head straight for that and do a run and then leave without a lot of people seeing that I was there. Um, that was, I guess my, my therapy during that time is to just go on a run and get out of the house for a minute. And I would always purchase, uh, some pre-workout or some supplements before a workout. And there's a little shop in the front of the gym. And I remember, and it's, it seems so simple and almost like nothing, but uh, the impact of the simple kindness um, I received by an individual that worked there, just the conversation, knowing my name. And there's not many, too many specifics to go into about how he helped me. I just remember him being so friendly. I'm um, in that happening every day. And uh, to him, it's probably how he treated everybody, but it was just his kindness was something I needed so much uh, during a couple of those days. Um, and I feel like that just made me feel so much better. Just someone just being nice just because they didn't know I, and dealing with the gay thing, um, church, church concerns, any of that. They were just nice because I was a familiar face and that's the kind of person that they are. Um, I look back and I don't know if I would have done it or not, but I wonder if I'm alive because people like him or my roommate or friends I had were kind. Um, I am lucky to have fat my friends and family, um, especially my nieces and nephews, um, they give me a reason to be here. Um, 
And I decided when I was contemplating the decision of if I would keep living or not, I decided um, as uh, the character in that, that Mormon message video that I would choose to stay. Um, and I think when, when myself or anyone gets to that point where they make the decision to, to stick around uh, and to, to live their life, it's something to be celebrated. Um, you know, and I keep thinking about uh, the people that I would have hurt if I would have done that. And especially lately, the people that um, I wouldn't have got to meet because I've made such great um, connections and grew such great friendships and relationships um, since then. And I felt like during, when I, I made this decision, and I don't talk a lot about prayer as sacred, but I remember talking to God um, at prayer. When you're bringing this up, prayer feels like a conversation. And I remember letting God know that I had made the choice, you know, and since I was committing to him, I'm going to stay. I'm not going to take my life. I'm going to continue to live. Um, and that it's going to be hard. And I... I'm trying to think of if this happened at the same time, um, if this was the same prayer, but I remember coming out to him and telling him that I'm gay. Um, it's, it was a very sacred experience to be that honest with God and to, to feel such comfort when I had felt such shame before. Um, and I've decided after this experience in my life that shame has no place in my life. It's not welcome here. And you know, guilt and regret are one thing and we learn lessons, but I, I will never let myself be that full of shame again. And I remember thinking, being so scared at this point that God or the Savior would be let down or angry with me. And I just remember during that prayer and those prayers, um, it was almost as if I, I felt a, a hand on my shoulder and a sense of relief and compassion from the Savior. Um, and it's it increased my testimony of God's nature, that he is a heavenly father. He's not out to be angry. He's not hoping to punish us for our sins. Um, and we shouldn't do that to ourselves as I was. Um, and I got to the, a place where spiritually, spiritually, I, I didn't have things figured out, but I trusted God that I'll just do my best and things will work out. Um, this plan is much bigger than me. Um, and things will work out. But, you know, I, I was working on the shame I felt um, for being gay um, from the church side of my life. Uh, and then also I was trying to balance because there's two, it's, it felt like there were two different worlds, two different sides. There's the church where or being gay um, is just a no. It's something you don't do. It's, you know, we hear 
um, members speak um, strongly against it. Um, and I was just figuring that out. I was able to just make it work and that hurtful word, words go and just, just be assured that God's plan is going to work one way or another. Um, but I was also stuck where I wasn't out yet. And um, my interaction with the gay community was very limited uh, until this point. And I remember feeling shame for not being out yet as well. So I was feeling shame from both sides and I, I was in such a lonely place. And if my own experience taught me anything, um, it's to give other people room to come out at their own time. Um, to do it in a way that is happy for them. It should be a happy experience. Unfortunately, it not always is. Um, but I know how important it is to, to come out during a time that is, yeah. So I guess to, to get more specific of what, um, I'm trying to, to convey here is from my own experience, I want to make it very clear that each person has the right to come out to, on their own terms happily and safely. Um, we all have different situations, different upbringings. Um, and with mine, I was worried about the, the social um, setbacks I might have, um, just how society and my community and friends would accept me. and. You know, I was scared of how it would affect my career. Um, and luckily for me, um, as I came out, those things weren't an issue. But one thing I never had to, to worry about was, um, was being disowned. I knew if my family didn't like it, they wouldn't disown me. Um, and there are others, um, you know, yeah, it is 2023, but there are situations where it's physically unsafe. For someone to come out um and i can't imagine what that's like um having known how hard it was for me and my situation is not like that so i hope i and that way i could be an ally and support someone as they're navigating how to figure that part of their life out <laughs> um you know i And I felt like after this, as I got to terms with myself, I guess I procrastinated telling my family a lot. I got to where I would tell friends. Um, there are a few friends that knew, um, you know, preceding, you know, these events of, that I just discussed. There's a few friends that I confided in, let know that I'm gay. Um, and there's a couple siblings um, that I let know and I gave them permission to share with their spouses. Um, so luckily they made good choices and spouses because I, I didn't want to tell them that and not, you know, have something so big that they're not able to talk with their spouse about. I feel like that's something I wanted them to, to feel free doing. And kind of went in limbo, kind of on pause. I wasn't worried about it, um, but I wasn't tortured anymore. And um, this kind of the, this period lasted for a few years and um a year ago life kind of threw a wrench on me things got busy again i i remember um 
almost a year ago, I was in the hospital and this was um, kind of a dramatic situation. I had uh, gotten a surgery. I had found out that I had um, a condition that was actually a birth defect that needed to be corrected, um, some malrocation. And during that surgery, I, a blood vessel was nicked and I was internal, internally bleeding for a while and hemorrhaged and it took a while um, while, I was in the ho- while I was staying in the hospital for this to be discovered. So I lost a lot of blood and I wasn't doing very well. And this was a little bit of a, a scary time for, I guess, my family. I was kind of out of it, so I didn't care. <laughs> but I know my mom um, was, was the person who, who was staying with me um, post my surgery. And um, when it came, when it came time to where we had discovered what was going on and, and how serious that was, she wanted me to get a priesthood blessing. And I, she didn't know I was gay. Uh, she didn't know I was sexually active and I felt a little awkward about getting a priesthood blessing. Um, and she, she, uh, she pushed hard for me to get one. And I, I ended up agreeing, um, just to, to pacify her and make her happy. Um, but I'm glad now that I let that happen. Um, my family lives, uh, you know, a half hour away from St. George from where the hospital was. And the surgeon, uh, he says, you, they're, we, we can't, we're not going to wait that long. As soon as the, the operating table's ready, we're going to um, do his surgery. And my mom called my, my cousin who lives in St. George um, and her husband new husband they haven't been married long and his dad showed up to give me a priesthood blessing um and i remember feeling the way i i would feel if i was an active member of the church the assurance that blessing um helped me feel and and just the i felt the power of priesthood just through them that they were there that quick that they made something you know, they made something that was hard to work, work. I mean, they had to get there so quick and they made it, they just made it work. And it shows how, how much, uh, they respect, uh, and care about the priesthood, but the pow, but how it could bless and help others. And that was a, a remarkable experience for me just to have that blessing and to, um, to not feel any less worthy if I, if I need that. <laughs> So, um, my mom, she still to this day, she thinks that I, I only, um, did that because she wanted it to be done, but, uh, she doesn't know how happy I am that it happened and how grateful I am for the priesthood holders who, uh, let me experience that when I thought it was something I wasn't going to experience anymore. And it was a comfort. I mean, I, I got that problem corrected and I'm, Things went well after that, and I'm healthy and happy now. So that's great. You're doing a good job. Keep sharing, Edward. All right. So yeah, if there's any questions at this point, interrupt. I mean, this is a, a long story with a few different parts. But keep going. Um, yeah, I got over that time, and I was a happy and, and healthy person. I was working. Uh, life was going good, and as to the point where I was talking to with my brother, who knows. Um, who knows that I have 
uh, that I'm gay, that I'm thinking about coming out because this experience, I mean, it was a serious experience. I don't call it a near-death experience, but that, that experience where I needed a blessing had me thinking about life and that I wanted to make it matter and I want to start living um, exactly as who I am and to, to not waste any more time um, in the closet. And uh, so I was getting ready to come out and then um, that's the time. Um, I had that conversation with my brother in early in April and a few days later, um, I received a text message about some test results that were ready. Um, I had found it necessary um, to get tested for various STDs because I was sexually active. And I opened up that, te that text and got my results. And then I scrolled down to what the one I would ex least expect to have and indicated that I was HIV positive. Wow. And I just remember feeling floored, you know, that, that feeling when your soul leaves your body, <laughs> that definitely happened. Um, and, you know, this brought to light some new fears. Um, this is a disease. I mean, I'll, you know, and we'll talk about how it's manageable and, and how you could live a normal and happy life at HIV, but not everybody knows that. And I didn't even know that until, you know, a couple of years ago, um, when I started interacting with other gay adults and, um, and dating, I did not know that HIV uh, was manageable. I thought if you got it, it really sucks. You're going to have it until you get AIDS and then die. And it's not like that anymore. And, um, but I, I realized not everybody knows that because I didn't even know that until way into my adult life. And this, you know, created fears of how my family would react and just the fear it would put them in. Um, and so I decided that I was just going to lay it on the table and tell my family that I, I have HIV, but also, um, that I got it because I'm gay. Um, I know it doesn't, HIV doesn't discriminate, um, you know, it doesn't discriminate, um, between certain uh, demographics or whatever. I mean, anybody could get it, but it is more prominent in the gay community. Um, and so I decided to come out uh, both at once. And I remember just trying to figure out how I'm going to tell everybody. And I have five sisters and a lot of them are the same age. And I'm like, okay, hey, I can't tell one before the other because that, that will be a fight if, you know, one gets, <laughs> gets to know before the other one or or so I, I sent out the same text um, to each seven of my siblings. Um, just, I think it'd be great yeah. if you read the text. Yeah, because this is after I thought about um, I thought about what what details are important um, for for them to know as long as well as as well as the diagnosis of having HIV and being gay. And. Um, the message reads, I have something to talk about and it's hard. It's painful, humiliating, and daunting. And I'm sorry I'm doing this via text and not in person, but I'm not able to talk it, uh, talk about it with you out loud yet. 
you're going to find out, and I'd rather you hear it from me. Your brother is gay. Also, your brother tested positive for HIV last week. I'm still waiting to take a confirmation test to make sure, but I wanted to do what I wanted to do before I told you this, but I'm telling you now because I don't want you finding out from anyone else. The chances of a false positive are three in a thousand, so it's very likely this is a challenge I'm going to deal with with the remainder of my life or until there's a cure. Uh, this is not a death sentence. There is treatment that will prevent this virus from progressing. As, I long, as long as I stick to the re routine I'm supposed to, I can live a healthy, long life and will not pass it to anyone else. Regarding my sexuality, I know this might be hard to process. I have been trying to for years and I am still working on it. I can't imagine having this news dumped on you like this, and I'm sorry for any difficulty, difficulty sadness, and, and confusion this may cause. Please talk with who you need to, but with our family's privacy in mind. I know this is something you will need to talk about. This is something you will need to talk with someone about, and I'm comfortable with you sharing it with your spouse, significant other, or trustworthy friend. My biggest fear in all of this is my relationship with my family. I am the same person you knew before this happened. It's one of the countless char characteristics that define who and what I am. I'm still Edward. I'm terrified of this creating distance between me and my nieces and nephews. I've always wanted to be a good example to your kids in every aspect of life and do the best I can to make sure they have an uncle that teaches them kindness, work ethic, and anything else that will contribute to their happiness safety and success. This is an issue that has driven me to suicidal idolation during difficult days that are now in the past. That's not an issue anymore, so that not, does not need to be a worry. Your kids are what has, have made the world a happy place that I continue to want to be in. There are days where those little ones have saved me. They are my world and I would be devastated without them. I will be mindful of how you want to parent and honor your decision on if and how they receive this information, but please let them remain a part of my life. I am not mad at the world or God. Although it's com it complicates matters in the spiritual aspect of life, I know God still loves me and Christ is the only person in existence that could truly understand the pain that I am and each of us go through. In the grand scheme of things, I'm sure this will get figured out and we will learn how to be patient until we have those answers. There will be things said in religious settings and possibly throughout the community that hurt. Those moments are small and I do not want them to stand in the way of you or your family's relationship of, with God. <laughs> One of my fears in coming out is that my family would be caught up in any controversy regarding the subject. Please let any of this go. Even though church has become a hard thing for me to hard thing for me to participate in. I will support and be genuinely happy for any of you as you progress in that part of life. It's important to me that regardless of church being a part of your life and not that your kids, sorry, it's important to me that regardless of church being a part of your life or not that your kids know, is that your kids know about Heavenly Father, that they are loved by him unconditionally and more than any of us can comprehend. They need to know that. Please prioritize that above anything else. 
I can tell you from experience, there may be hard challenges in life that are easier than they would be if they have his help. Please do not, any, do not let any thoughtless or mean words about my, me or my challenge stand in the way of that important truth. I'm going to be learning a lot about myself and how to find a companion that I could share a happy life with. This might be complicated or even seem uncomfortable for some, but please be mindful that I've supported each of you in your choice of a companion, even at times it was hard and I didn't understand the choice that you're making. Um, as I said in the beginning, it's hard to talk about this, but you need to know, and now you do. You may have questions on a lot to talk about, but I don't want to talk about it too much right now. I've avoided visiting lately. This just isn't a conversation I want to have. I want to do normal things and not worry about this as much when I'm visiting. Uh, so I just wanted to be transparent and let them know. And I'll mention uh, this was sent in April. Um, this is a, a conversation that my family members and I have. Um, and it's increasingly becoming easier um, to talk about. Um, I did not expect, um, you know, with my upbringing, um, you know, somewhat religious, um, a lot of families active in, in the church, but, you know, raised on Christian values, uh, kind of in a conservative way. I thought at least one of my, I have seven siblings. I mean, I thought at least one of them might not take it well and all seven have been really good to me and my parents have been really good to me um so i was surprised in a good way and i'm grateful for that um you know that every family that every member of my family um has treated me so well and that as i've even confided in coworkers, and my broker our, our mentor is the best way to describe her is show me support um and the friends that um, now have been right and treated me the same, which was important to me. I, I guess I, I held on to that stereotype, especially because I'm, you know, I'm somewhat athletic, very social, and I was worried all my guy friends would be weirded out around me. That oh, it's, it's the gay friend; he might be hitting on me, and I haven't been treated like that at all so i'm very grateful for my friends who have uh treated my, me so well and and for my uh my broker or my mentor because i was so scared of how this would affect my career um as people come to find out and i i find it um find it amazing that independently um one from another that I hear the same phrase, we've got your back. I remember her saying when I told her, I'm so worried about how this is going to affect work life and, and, you know, just the mental aspect of it, staying busy and being productive. And she says, you know, she, she told me specifically, we, we've got your back. And I remember the other day I was with my brother-in-law. Um, I was helping him build some fence. Um, and it was a, a fun experience for me because I hadn't done physical work for a while. I've, I'm not used to office stuff still. Um, I grew up very doing those kinds of things. 
Um, but when we're driving back, I remember we're having a conversation about this part of my life. And he's like, I want to make sure you know that we've got your back. And I've heard that from more than once. We've got your back or I've got your back. And I'm very grateful um, to have wonderful people in my life and to have allies um, from the minute I came out. And I think how my parents reacted to this um, is such a great example. And I hope that any parent who at some point have, has a child come out uh, considers how my parents treated me when I did. And I'll just read a text from my dad. Um, and just backstory, my dad, I mean, it, the, the men in my family are, are rough around the er edges. We're not, they're not, emo you know, we're not emotional people. And it's important for us not to show that uh, most of the time. That's kind of how I was raised. But um, after uh, staying a few weeks away from family and just having my, my head in the sand after I let everybody I know that I, I'm gay and I have HIV, um, I get this text. He says, and he never texts also. So this was unusual just to, to see this message come through. It says, Edward, this is your dad, and I'm not very good at exp expressing myself very well. You know, you know that, but you need to know that you're my boy, and I love you very much, as well as your mother and all our family, my kids and my grandkids. <laughs> you all mean more to me than life itself. Yeah, I don't talk well, but you need to know that I'm very proud of you and the man that you have become. I remember years ago when I was trying to get you to shoot a deer and you didn't want to. And that was okay because watching you grow and seeing your love for people and animals, the outdoors and everything in general, general means more to me than the biggest trophy buck that all <laughs> trophy buck that you could bring home. So he says, I'll give you a little advice. Uh, but grandpa, that grandpa gave me years ago. Never believe anything you hear and only half of what you see and think you know for sure because you're either be nothing to it or more to it than you could ever know. Then he goes on, this is your home and you are always welcome here. <laughs> and any, as long as anyone else you are with, whether they be male, female, <laughs> black, white, yellow, I'll just do my best to make them feel welcome and at ease. There are things in life where there are just bigger pictures. There are things in life where there is just way bigger pictures. Things that we know come see us when you're ready. Uh, Lucy, um, Lucy was a pet. Um, Lucy misses you very much and needs a treat. I know I'm rough around the edges, but you know my way. I don't be mean to be. I just am. I just want you to remember this is your home and you're always welcome here. I will always be proud of you and have your back. Again, someone saying, I have your back no matter, no matter what. And wow, that was terrific. Yeah, it was. I'm sorry. It's, it's hard for me to read my handwriting here um, or the print of this, but I, I took notes of what he said to me that matters so much. And I've, as I've uh, been out, I've interacted with a lot of people in the gay community, especially parents. And as I've done this, I realize how remarkable it is that I have the parents that I have. Um, 
I find with many of my my gay friends um, that uh, their experience was not as as happy as mine was. They're you know I I hear a lot. We love you, but we don't agree with this lifestyle or or whatever. And there was none of that um, with my parents. There was just unconditional love. Um, I'll point out, we come from a culture that's even more conservative than you could imagine. Um, being gay is something that there's not a lot of understanding about. And I think it's so important that we don't, we don't need to have that understanding before we love somebody or we respect them and treat them the way they should be treated. Uh, my parents have shown that by example. Um, and when it comes to the purpose of this life, um, spiritual-wise, that we're here to learn and become like Heavenly Father, I'm grateful I have my parents who show the same, uncon- uh, the same unconditional love that He does. Um, and when I'm learning to be like Him, uh, there's a great example that I get to see and interact with every day. So I love my family and I'm very grateful that I have the parents that I have. Um, uh, HIV, I mean, I wish I would have came out before I had HIV, but I, <laughs> I think the two just, I don't know, they build out. I think just doing them at once made me very vulnerable. I mean, I just stripped a huge bandaid off and uh, these conversations are, I guess I just point reached to the point of everything I talk about is comfortable. Uh, I have to think before I speak, make sure I'm not getting too heavy because at this point there's, I'm not scared or ashamed of, of any part of my life. Um, um, but, and I have been talking about HIV a lot um, as I interact with the gay community, my family, um, there's so much stigma behind this disease and there's so much information that people don't know. Um, and that well, people should know, especially if they're vulnerable um, and at a higher risk to this disease. I, um, I didn't know when I, start, when I came to the reala- realization I was gay and started dating other men, um, I did not know what PrEP was. Um, PrEP is a drug, um, and it's more available than one might think, and it's more affordable than one might think, but PrEP is a drug that uh, prevents the spread of HIV. If you are on that medication and you're exposed to HIV, it will prevent you from getting it. Um, And many people don't know about the medicine I am on. Um, I was too late with the PrEP, and it's it's kind of a struggle for me, and I get mad at myself because I was almost there. I had been looking into it and started you know, started the process of getting it. And it just, <laughs> I just, yes, I, I got too comfortable and wasn't as cautious as I should be and didn't respect myself. Um, when it came to my choice of interacting um, and sexual encounters with other people, I know that's a pretty specific topic, but um, that's true. That's what happened. Um, you know, I got HIV from having sex and looking back, um, there's the medical part of being safe 
Um, but I regret it was an experience that can only be, be described as simply a hookup. I mean, even before I found out that this experience had infected me, it was already something I regret where um, there was no care or, or respect or, or any of those things that should be there during that type of interaction with another human. Um, but I have it and, um, you know, you have medicine that prevents HIV, um, but I'm on a medicine that suppresses the virus to where your vir viral load is so low you can't transmit it to anybody else, even sexually. Um, it keeps the progress, it keeps the, H it keeps the virus from progressing. Um, and I, get, and I, I like to refer to people to a, a doctor, a medical professional, <laughs> to, to answer these questions um, specifically and, and correctly. But my understanding is that it keeps it kind of dormant. So um, even though I will carry the virus, it will never, it will never, um, it won't, it, it suppresses it and keeps it from becoming, a, becoming AIDS. Um, and I'll live a normal life. And uh, I just have to take that pill every, every morning um, to make sure and to keep that viral load low and undetectable and untransmittable. Um, and I hope that, I hope that it stops with me. I feel like I'm fighting the virus when I tell people how to not let it happen to them. I feel like I'm winning a battle with it. If I, if I help someone become aware of prep or my own or sharing my own experience to where there's there's safety in the the medicine part but there's safety in the choices you make um and i've made made an effort to not let shame be a part of a conversation about sex because you know in my in my gay world it was you know, you're an active member of the church, but then when you leave and you're gay, it's all of a sudden Sodom and Gomorrah and that's, that's the lifestyle you're choosing. And I want to make it, um, I want to share that throughout my experience. Um, especially lately, I find that you could hold yourself more to that, that you can, um, as you're dating, expect interactions with people where there's more respect than that or where you could get to know them more personally than that. Um, and, you know, doing that also prevents <laughs> this from, from happening. Um, you know, you can, it's okay to, So moving on, coming out has been a remarkable and happy experience for me. My relationship with others is more trusting and genuine. And, and genuine. People confide in me now. Um, they feel comfortable sharing parts of their life um, after I've been so vulnerable about my own. Um, the universal theme I've had from others, I've got your back. I have allies and I realize how important this is. Uh, it's been vital. And it makes me want to be an ally for others. I want to listen um, when others are hurting and upset. And I want to try to understand their perspective and what they're going through. 
right? So I've at times uh, felt lonely. And when someone else is in a hard situation, um, whether it be similar to mine or not, I want to I want to to listen when they're hurting or upset, and I want to try to understand what they're going through and be their friend in the meantime. Uh, I know what it's like to be hit with the you choose to be offended um, when you react to anything else or anything um, that has hurt you. Um, I want the conversation to go farther than that um, and to genuinely help people. Um, you know, this, my experiences made me uh, realize I need to learn to become aware of situations other than my own. Um, I look back when I was an active member of the church and um, for things I may have said, um, even about the LGBTQ community, um, I'm sorry. I, I think, I just think about as a response to a conversation about uh, homosexuality or gay marriage, my responses haven't always been what, knowing now they should be. Um, I'm also sorry for think, what I didn't say or other people's experiences where I didn't notice that they were hurting and needed, needed an ally in their own life. Um, I want to be able to see the value in each soul because it is there. I want to show by example what the church is losing when somebody leaves. I cringe when someone walks away and they are treated as if, and they are treated by members of the church as, as that person who's walking away that they're losing something they, they need. Um, I know the church needs them, especially parents and allies. Um, and I've, I haven't went to detail about hurtful conversations or, or some things or some conversations that have been hard to forget. Um, but I know that I haven't always said the right thing or acted the right way. And so I want to give others the room to grow because I, I've needed it. Um, throughout all this, the meanest person, um, to me has been myself. <laughs> um, I want to just simply love. Uh, the first step is love. Although I'm trying to understand other stories and situations other than my own, uh, understanding is not prerequisite to respecting and loving others. Uh, it will be a long time before we have all the answers and figure each other out. In the meantime, uh, just be friends. It's such a waste not to be. Um, if I choose to be an ally, you know, for someone in the LGBT community or someone who is just having any different kind of struggle, um, if I am genuine in that, in that goal to be an ally for others, then I could, I could make sure that no one that I know is without one and that everyone I know has at least somebody. Um, I want to build a life and a home that is welcoming. I want people to feel welcome in my life and I want there to be a seat at my table for anyone. <laughs> uh, looking back, there's been times where I wish I could have taken this from me. Um, I'm glad I am gay. 
Um, I haven't always been, but I'm grateful it happened. And I think Heavenly Father knew what he was doing uh, when he created me and that there is purpose in this. And it's been hard to understand. But he knew what I needed to learn in this life. And I genuinely believe that he had my and my family's best interest and happiness at heart heart when he made this plan um, for us and we chose to come here and what we'd be experiencing in this life. Um, I hope to be someone that speaks up um, when someone needs to be spoken up for. Um, being a member of the LGBTQ community um, and becoming aware of situations other than my own, I've learned that it's important to speak up for our brothers and sisters. So I'm, I'm grateful for each of you that have listened to my story. Um, and I'll tell you that the reason I am doing this, and for me, it's because growth happens when we hear each other's stories. Um, I have listened to this podcast on some pretty hard days and it has been helpful. I'm thrilled to be on this end of things and to be telling my story and validating to even myself that it is important. Um, I want to finish off <laughs> um, by making sure anyone who feels broken knows that they're not. Um, I learned that I am not broken and I never was. Uh, I thought of that analogy with the weed eater on the way here. Um, you know, I, I, I like to be outside to do yard work and forever. I had no idea how to load the, the string in the weed eater. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, Yeah. but, um, I just, I would get angry and beat the crap out of weed eaters and would waste so much time trying to get a task done in the yard. Um, and I think I could compare myself to that. I mean, the weed eater wasn't broken. I just didn't understand understand how it worked um and i damaged it trying to fix it even though it wasn't broken and wasted so much time on something that would be helpful if i would have just learned how to use it and during the the past few years i i have tried to fix myself i've treated myself like that weed eater you know just beat it up trying to to fix something that wasn't broken. And I just needed to see how it works. Um, and that's the one thing I, I want to make clear is that um, I don't need to be fixed. And this is something that I'm happy about. And even though my answer to, would you, you know, would you get rid of this if you could? Would you wave a wand or whatever and make yourself not gay? There are plenty of times in my life where I'd suggest, please get rid of this. And if you were to ask me now, the answer would be no, keep this. It is a wonderful, happy, sacred part of my life. And I am so happy that I am who I am and that I'm out and I could finally start getting to know myself and letting other people know who Edward is. Edward, on behalf of all of our listeners, um, this is a terrific podcast. It's not an easy thing to do what you've just done. You've never done this before. You've never been on a podcast. You've never been this vulnerable. Um, 
You did a really good job. Thank you. And um, it's really brave. Here are some of the notes that I wrote down, listeners. Um, um, I'm self-harm is interesting. You know, it's I think self I'm not a therapist, but the way I've tried to understand self-harm is you've got the pain. I'm now I'm being a therapist, you've got the pain of being gay, um, which you're not comfortable with. And so you're trying to change that pain into other pain, and that leads to self-harm. And it that's maybe not accurate in every case, but I recognize that sometimes it's training one pain for another pain. And I love that you connected the dots. And so self-harm to me is what's above the iceberg, um, the bruises and the self-harm. But what's below the iceberg is what a good therapist can get down to what's really going on here. Or perhaps a friend or your own self-reflection, what's going on here. So I love that you got through that. Um, The power of that friend at the gym is an invitation for all of us to be that friend at the gym. That therapist, that friend isn't a therapist. He or she, he, I think, um, did something any of us can do. And he got to know your name. That's the most important word in the English language for each of us is our own name. I think that's great. And he just was kind. And in your dark days, just his friendship um, gave you something there. Yeah. And um, I think of Lester Holt when he signs off from the news, he says, take care of yourself and each other. And I love that line that that's what that did. And that's what all of us can do. We have no idea what someone's going through, but just the kindness he extended to you um, in the midst of having suicidal ideation and the impact that good for had on you is, is just sort of like, wow. Um, I love your intention to choose to stay. And we'll link in our show notes, listeners, to that Mormon message video. I assume I can dig it up. The, um, I assume it's still there. Choose to stay. And somebody taught me, you know, that can be different for everybody. I used to always say, well, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, just choose to stay. And someone once told me, there's no light at the end of my tunnel. It's so dark. And I thought, well, I appreciate you being honest, but I still I think you're going to hope that there'll be a light at the end of the tunnel at some point, and you can choose to stay today with just hope that things will get better. And your older self, like your older self, could talk to the younger Edward Lovett and say, it is better. I'm 35, uh, mid-30s, I think, and um, I'm past the stage of being suicidal. One of the things you said was really interesting in that whole segment. Edward, is you committed to God to stay. It's like we believe in covenants. (laughs) And I love that you committed to God to stay. Um, You've had this, your relationship with the church has kind of come and gone, um, but your relationship with God has been present. And you've recognized he loves you. That's another part of your story that's deeply helpful. Um, so I just thought that was really helpful for other people that are suicidal, that um, they can choose to stay, they can commit that to God. Even if tomorrow isn't better, they can still choose to stay with hope that things will get better. And I think if your older selves could pull a chair up with you, they would tell you it's going to get better. And the next thing that came to my mind is just your whole story about being HIV positive. And I think talking about being sexually active and hookups 
doesn't cause people to have more hookups or be sexually active. I think it helps de-shame that part of your story and just help people make better decisions. I think shame leads to worse decisions. And I know a lot of parents, as their gay or lesbian kids age up and they're dating, they want to do that responsibly. And so I think often being out to your parents and intentionally dating with boundaries and with goals and with trusted people in your life talking about your dating. So you got to be out to do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and you've got to have family. So younger people are doing that a little bit better. Generally, they may be out, they may be talking to their families. And so I think they're a little more likely to have boundaries, um, less get into the hookup game. I sometimes say there's, you know, these are all ways to live life outside the teachings of our church, but some are better than others. And some are just more thoughtful. So I think you're in a really good spot now. I think you want a long-term monogamous relationship. So if that's your road as a gay or lesbian person, I think just try to do that responsibly. Um, I think Edward would invite you to stay away from the hookups. I think you kind of talked about that's not really accomplishing anything. There's no emotional commitment. There's no attachment. And it may just be an escape from the pain you're dealing with versus something that's thoughtful. Thoughts on that? I'm glad you mentioned that. And uh, the one thing I I learned is just how important it is to get to know someone you share that part of yourself with. Because I specifically look back at the the person I'm, I'm aware of who who I got it from and I don't know this person at all um and regardless of how sexually active anybody chooses to be or not it's it's okay to to practice safety just not physical safety but for your emotional and mental well-being as well and um even though my my lifestyle's outside of the church teachings um, as you said, many of, of, as are, of us, <laughs> some of us, of us are in that situation. Um, you still have, you still have the right to, to expect uh, safety and familiarity with the person that you're sharing that part of yourself with. Yeah, I just, <clears throat> I think it's really helpful for you to talk about that and respect for being open and de-shaming that and. Yeah, I think um, I think you need to start date. I mean, this is dating advice. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, <laughs> not I mean, for you, but you know, just I think you need to be your best personal self before you start dating. If you're gay or lesbian, and and try to go um, a position of strength. I'm not inviting you to same sex date, but if you feel like that's your path, I try to do that when you're in the best physical and sort of headspace and. And kind of the opposite of vulnerable and looking for validation, because sometimes you can get taken advantage of um, somebody that'll validate you and you're vulnerable, and that can lead to sexual activity that you don't desire, don't want, or regret later. And if that, but if that has been part of your past, pragmatically, like Edward's saying, I'm just going to learn from that. Um, I'm going to keep God in my life. I'm going to talk to him about what's going on in my life. I'm going to, I'm going to, um, shame wants you to look backwards in a whirlpool of self-loathing. Sort of hope and the atonement, I think, wants you to look forward and saying, I'm going to learn, I'm going to grow, and I'm that's part of mortality. And I think you're doing that, and your story helps 
Um, so that's a tender subject and you're just going to have to write that road yourself. All of course, I'll invite you to follow church teachings, but if you're not following church teachings, I'll still invite you to keep God in your life. I believe as Edward has talked about, even getting priesthood blessings um, and feeling God's hand in his life in the church and out of the church is consistent with my view of God, that he loves you. And that relationship is not earned. It's just there because you're his son or you're his, you're his daughter. And um, he wants to be involved in your life and prayer is part of that. I love you say, I'm glad I'm gay. Um, I think that's everybody I think should feel good about how they're created. If you're a gender minority or a sexual minority or part of the majority, I think everybody should feel on the same moral footing that they're created as intended. I don't think that changes church teachings. I just think it helps people not feel shame for who they are. And you, this has been a de-shaming podcast. That's one of the themes of your podcast is your brave story de-shames a lot of these situations and helps other people. I love your dad's, I love your text to your family. It's well-written and so thoughtful and a great way to handle that. I love that all seven of your siblings responded positively. Um, Your dad's text brings tears to my eyes. Someday your dad's going to be gone just like everybody, and you'll always know how your dad feels about you. And um, that is just a beautiful parenting moment from a really thoughtful dad and saying, you're welcome in the home. I love you. There's no strings attached. There's no condition. And I think that's what we do. We preserve the relationship and we leave judgment at the feet of our Savior. And and you obviously want to preserve the relationship with your family. So much of your text was, I want to be involved in the family. I want to be involved in your lives and your kids' lives. In fact, maybe these relationships kept me alive. And I want to continue that. And, and, but I, I need to be authentic with who I am because I need to know you'll still love me and welcome me. And so I thought it was a really brave text you sent. And I think sometimes I think of Apollo 13. I quote this a lot where Gene Kratz says, as everything seems like it's going sideways and the Apollo 13 is going to crash, he says, excuse me, this is our finest moment. And in some ways, this is the Levitt family's finest moment, or one of them, as they've mm-hmm. rallied around you. And same with your friends and your coworkers and so many people that have got your back, to use your words, Edward. So listeners, I'm going to give Edward the last chance to say something, but just grateful for Edward. Um, being willing to come on the podcast and share a story and bring more light and understanding. And hopefully those of you that are in a really tough spot, um, the things that Edward shares help you have more hope going forward. And we can just all see each other as the same human family. You have a great life ahead of you, Edward. You are in a great spot. You're still, I mean, I'm 30 years older than you, so it's easy for me to call you a young man. And you have your whole life ahead of you. And... Mm -hmm. I hope you stay connected to God and to the Savior, and I respect your relationship with the church, um, that you want it to work for the people that it works, and you seem to, you know, you you seem to feel good about the church, but recognize it doesn't work for you. Maybe it'll work for you down the road. I don't know. I just let you, trust you'll know how to navigate that. You're mm-hmm. really thoughtful. You're really um, grounded, and I. I just feel your story is very thoughtful. So 
those are my thoughts, listeners, but I want to see if Edward has any last comments. Uh, no, you covered it very well, and I appreciate that you gave me an opportunity to share my story. And this is the first time that I've done it in this kind of setting, um, and I'm grateful um, that I had the chance to do that. Um, I don't know who's receiving this, who's who's at the other end of this uh, this podcast, who may be listening to it. Um, and there is a lot of question. Um, about church activity and that part of life. But if I leave, I just want to make very clear um, that uh, if you're, if you're in a dark place like I was to be assured that there are better days ahead. And I learned so specifically how much our heavenly father loves me um, throughout that time. And I know the Savior didn't forsake me. He didn't leave me. He, he walked beside me on those hard days. And I know he, he does that for all of us. So I, I think the most important thing for me to leave, um, leave anyone, whether they have an LDS uh, upbringing or not, is that there is a being in this existence that loves them and each of us more than we could comprehend. And this experience um, taught me that. And that's why I'm so happy I'm gay because I, I don't think I would know how much God loves me if I wasn't. Wow. It's kind of like the testimony at the end of testimony meeting. Edward. <laughs> oh, thanks. And I appreciate you. Uh, you're these, the biggest reason I did this is because I know it helped me so much. So I know you've helped so many people. And I'm glad I got to to be a part of that and hopefully hopefully what I shared might help someone or make one of those hard days easier. Well it will. And the pod you're kind of give me a compliment, but it's really the guests <laughs> and you listeners. I'm just feel like I'm a conduit to connect you these stories together and provide a platform. But um thank you, Edward Levitt and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn and Love. <laughs>